0: Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit is rampant. Bullshit. Bullshit. I'm a pansy. Welcome back to Bolivia Part 2 on the Bullshit Filter, Ray. Hello. How are you doing? Good. Thank you, Ray. How are you doing? peachy keen. Um, Before you get into Che Guevara, and I know that by the time you finish talking about him, your pants are going to get wet. I get that. I did want to mention, um, when we're ready to jump back into the timeline, I did want to mention one particular event that happens right before he comes on the scene. Oh, we've got a long way to go okay. before that. Okay, all right.
1: So, well, at the end of uh, our first Bolivian episode, I think we talked about the rise of this new political party, MNR, the Revolutionary Nationalist Movement, right. founded by Victor Paz Estensoro, a.k.a. Paz, and how they managed to align themselves with Fatherland's Cause, aka Redepa, mm-hmm. in 1943 and overthrew the government of the time under Panaranda. Um, and that uh, the president of that government was actually Major Gualberto Villarroel Lopez. Nice. He became president, and there were three MNR members, including Paz, who joined his cabinet. But they then resigned, the MNR ministers, because the United States got involved. Uh, As I mentioned in the last episode, the MNR party had a left faction, sort of a Marxist faction, and a right, maybe fascist faction that wanted to support Nazi Germany and Italy because they were anti-US and pro Selling Bolivian oil mm-hmm. to the Axis. And the United States refused to recognize this Bolivian government under Villa Royale because of MNR's ties with Nazi Germany. So the MNR ministers of the government had to resign in order to avoid more issues with the United States. Um, but they returned to their posts in 1944 after they had won a majority in another election, and the United States was forced to recognize the government. Mm-hmm. They tried to push through reforms for workers, push through uh, bigger social spending, but didn't get very far, mostly because Radepa, the military arm in MNR, couldn't agree on the major issues. There was a lot of pushback from the old conservative elitist parties ended up in violence on both sides. In 1946, there were mobs of students, teachers, workers who seized guns from an arsenal Uh-oh. and marched on the presidential palace what? where they captured the president, Villarreal, shot him... Oh, God. ...and suspended his body from a lamppost... post. Oh. In the main square of town. That's how you do it. While the sorry, while the army just stayed in their barracks and did nothing.
0: Right. If I could just real quick, because you know we're doing the uh, the Cold War series as well. What, and I think this is so funny because if you think about it for a second, these are peasants, these are miners. I mean, these people have had a shit life, but they're hard workers. You know, they've got to be physically tough. Their endurance has got to be incredible. And then they get their hands on guns. Uh, they're going to be able to cause some trouble, just like a lot of the the Jewish people go to Palestine, and become farmers. They become hardy. You know, they get physically tough over the the decades that they're there, and they're going to give the British and the air, the local Arabs, a lot of trouble because they are not these. Pushovers anymore that they were for the last two thousand years, and the same thing with these people in Bolivia. I mean, these are some hardy stock people. They're tough. They're desperate, and yeah, they're able to plan something, get some weapons, and and cause some trouble. These are not pushovers, and these people have had enough. Yeah, but it makes
1: it a lot easier when the army just stands there and does nothing. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> even you and I could overthrow the government if we no could one tried if to they stand us. there. Yeah, right. We might, we might succeed.
1: This was mostly because the military um, Radepa had a falling out, as I said, with MNR on a bunch of issues. Ooh, Paz, right. the one of the leaders of the MNR party, went into exile in Argentina. Now, he, this was the first of many times he would go into exile. <laughs> but, uh, he basically had his exile suitcase just full, always packed, ready to go. Always, yeah.
0: yeah. Underwear, socks, yeah, his, passport. His uh, escape bag he
1: just had there ready to go. <laughs> he went into exile in Argentina. Now, there was another election in 1947, this time right. won by a Republican, one of the old conservative elite, Enrique Herzog. Paz mm-hmm. was in exile, ran anyway, and came third. <laughs> Not bad. More violence. Uh, miners and union workers go on strike. Herzog, in order to shut this down, becomes increasingly repressive. The elite right. were trying to sort of turn the clock back to the pre-Chaco War period. You know, right. remember the good old days? Make it, Make Bolivia Which, great again, was their slogan. When the, when the peasants were happy being peasants. Yeah. Remember those days? Remember those good old good, days when it was just days. like a, you know, 1% of the good population days. had all the money and... <laughs> The rest of you fuckers and just of knew it. your place. Yeah. Can't we go back right. to those days? Those were good days uh, for us. Simple times. Simple yeah. times. <laughs> uh, Herzog didn't last very long. And I mean, this is, uh, you know, the, the story of Bolivia. No one lasts very long. Right. Uh, <laughs> didn't last very long. And uh, he was forced to resign and was replaced by his vice president, Marmerto uh, Um I'm just going to call him wow. Mummy. Uh, the more important part of this, though, is his vice president, who was who was even more sort of um, combative than oh, uh, wow. Herzog had been. Marmerto was backed by a military junta under General Hugo Bavillan Rojas. Damn. So uh, he's got the army on his side. Basically, the the economy what? continues to decline, though. So we're in the late forties. Their economy's been fucked since the mid twenties. Um, it's it's just getting worse. And the government it doesn't want to increase taxes on the wealthy. They're cutting social spending. Then oh there's a presidential God. election in 1951 with Paz, who is still in exile in Argentina. <laughs> Get him back. Running for president with a guy called Siles Zuazo running as his vice president. Siles, who's a major player who's around now for decades in the story. I think he came from elite. I think one of his, I think his father may have been a government minister early on. I can't remember his full story. But they ran on a platform of more nationalization of all of the land resources and agrarian reform. They got the support mm-hmm. of the newly created Bolivian Communist Party, the PCB Partido Comunista de Bolivia, and mm-hmm. uh, won the election with a, a clear yes. clear majority. So, com- so Paz, yeah. I'm sorry, going. I was just going to say yes. So the the MNR finally, with Paz at the top of the food chain, manages to win an election in 1951. So Paz and the m won with a clear majority in the 1951 election, mm-hmm. uh, which was surprising for two reasons. Number one, Paz was still in exile in Argentina, had been for like six years. <laughs> Secondly, because only a small part of the population was allowed to vote. It, the, the Indigenous people didn't even have the vote, and they were the vast majority right. of the population. It was only the wealthy elite so. that were allowed to vote. But before Paz, he could take yeah. government... Yeah. Uh Uh-oh. Mamerto, the current uh, president, uh, annulled the election. (gasps) Not surprised, not shocked, not gasped. Now, I wanted to stick on this point because Bolivia's history has been a combination of two things. Number one, a coup. Number two, somebody winning an election and all of the opposition calling bullshit on the election. huh that
0: sounds familiar. Yeah.
1: Vote fraud. Don't, we don't believe it. Uh, irregularities. Irregularities. Exactly.
0: <laughs> that
1: has been the two major right. themes of Bolivian politics <laughs> since
0: on the bingo 1920.
1: Yeah. For a hundred years, it's exactly. either been a military coup or right. you know voting irregularities. Exactly. And, and so this exactly. came up here with MNR against MNR. So Mamerto. Uh, uh, My apologies, because my uh, Spanish uh, is is not up to scratch. uh, Basically just said, no, sorry, regularities. Don't like that election. Not going to recognise it. And MNR had to go underground. But a year later in 1952, there was another... Coup, another revolution, (laughs) this time led by the MNR, who joined forces with police and miners and beat the army in a three-day civil war. 600 people died. The the, the war was actually led by Paz's vice president, uh, Silesio I mentioned before, who then handed power to Paz when Paz returned from exile.
0: Yeah, so Paz um who had been singing the soundtrack for Don't Cry For Me Argentina, comes back, he's the president, and obviously he's got to take care of a lot of these issues that the people have been screaming about for quite some time. So yeah, he introduces social and economic reforms, he's going to work on universal suffrage, the nationalization of the mines, you know, land distribution, because like you said, the 1% own the vast majority of the good land. He tries to improve education and the status of the indigenous peoples. And here's what, tricky part because things have been so bad for so long just the fact that he's trying to do these things in a very sincere manner these people are going to get a taste of what could be and so You're not going to be surprised by this, but obviously this guy's not in power for the next 20 years. He doesn't make all the dreams come true. In fact, um, there's going to be another coup in 1964, but the point is the fact that he talks about this, it becomes the national dialogue. The people's hopes and expectations are raised, and when it does get dashed, they are going to remember what could have been. And so their their willingness to sacrifice their lives to fight the police, to fight and kill the military is not going to end anytime soon because they are still trying to achieve some kind of equality. Yeah, but I mean, big point
1: here is the universal Mm -hmm. suffrage. So for the first time, uh, the poor, the the, the indigenous, the Indians, and even the illiterate, so we're talking about 80% of the population were given full citizenship for the first time in 400 years in Bolivia. Wow. Under Paz in the early 50s. Now, look, you know, America has not treated its indigenous people or its African-American people very well, but uh, pretty Mm -hmm. sure they had the vote before the 50s. Although I have to point out, of course, that in Australia, our indigenous population didn't get the vote Completely right. until 1969, I think. Ooh. So so we're doing
0: better than Australia. Bolivia. Bolivia is better than That's
1: Australia better. in that regard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was going to be my point. Like, jeez. <laughs> uh, oh, Thanks. Cringeworthy. Yeah, good work. Yeah. Good work, white, <laughs> white people in Australia. <laughs> Proud. That's why when it comes to patriotism, I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, we, no. we didn't even give no. our Indigenous population the vote <laughs> until the year before I was born. Sorry. Right, so not no. a lot to be no. proud of in that,
0: I'm afraid. Right. you are got to earn that. Mm. Yeah.
1: But this is a big deal. and It's something, that a you know, major reform that, that Paz managed to push through. He also nationalised the largest tin mining interests and, and did this interesting thing where he fired all of the tin miners, nationalised the tin mining companies, fired all the tin miners, then Mm. hired them all back again because the government took over all of these companies, then hired them all back and at higher salaries than they were being paid previously. Now, that's not that big a deal because they were being paid shit previously. Right.
0: (laughs) Doesn't take much to
1: By these privatised mining companies, yeah. So... To, to rehire them at higher salaries just means, you know, he was trying to pay them a, a, a fair wage, I guess, for their work. And went about major agrarian reform. The military was dismantled
0: Ooh. and
1: formed reformed as a wing of the MNR. So sort of a classic uh, Bolshevik sort of communist party type move to, mm-hmm. to try and prevent further military coups, what you do is you use the military for a coup, and then when you've done that, you disband right. the military and bring them under right. the leadership of your political party so they become part right. of the power structure. At least in theory, that's the way it works. Obviously, right. it doesn't play out as you hope, but that was what they tried to do. Uh, it was going to be run by peasants and workers from the left wing of the MNR party, run by a guy called Juan Lehin, who was uh, a Marxist. Wow! Now, um, in theory, this sounds good to me, though, right? So the yeah, army had been the a tool of the right for you know for for most of the country's history. Now they're being right. run by the people. Sounds good. Paz managed to finish his term without getting executed in 1956, (laughs) and his vice president, Chiles, was elected, and he was the president from 56 to 60. So they went a full eight years here without a coup. (laughs) in Bolivia! Mostly, I think, because they managed to, you know, reform the military, bring the army yeah. under the party, run by Lechín, this guy. But unfortunately, during this period, the left wing of the party and the right wing of the party, the MNR, started to split, became increasingly antagonistic towards each other. Mm. And mm-hmm. uh, in 1960, Paz returned from London, where he'd been the Bolivian ambassador, ran for election again and easily won for a second time. Nice. So good for him. Good for Bolivia. I can. Yeah, Paz wanted to, um, you know, kind of, I guess, he felt like he was the guy that could address the division between the party.
0: Uh, it, was,
1: it had to right. be him at top, and he, and he succeeded in part. His vice president now was this uh, Juan Lechín guy, the uh, uh, Marxist. Who was the head of the left wing of the party? But in, over the next few years, Paz and Lekin started drawing apart. Paz wanted to right. disarm the workers. He f- figured, you know, he yeah, he'd sort of achieved what he wanted. He'd had achieved a measure of peace and stability. Call he started calling himself Augustus uh, <laughs> in his private moments.
0: Take away everybody's weapons. Yeah, he wanted right. to
1: disarm the army, and Lekin didn't. And so he was eventually removed from control of the army and and as vice president. Now, in 1964, Paz decided to amend the constitution to allow himself to run for re-election. Oh, shit. Now, that, of course, is something that's just happened again in Bolivia under Morales. As I mentioned before, Mm -hmm. at least he he attempted to do that. And uh, I wanted to point that out because this isn't... Knew uh, this is right. something that had happened before in Bolivia, within the lifetime of many people who live there. That you know, mm-hmm. th- this attempt to extend his 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 ability to run the country, and you know, on the surface of it, probably a good idea because the country was a fucking basket case before Paz before. and the MNR came right. to power. They had a coup every fucking year pretty much right. for like Christmas. years before that. Yeah. Right. So he, he managed to bring a level of peace and stability to the country for yeah. know, whatever, Reforms. 12 years at this stage. Uh, right. Good idea to try and continue that, you might think. I mean, I know at one level I have this gut reaction to, Presidents trying to amend the constitution to extend their power. I mean, that that seems bad on the surface. It sounds bad because right. m- most of us believe that term limits are a good idea because the longer somebody or a party is in power, corrupt. yeah, the more en- the more endemic the corruption tends to become, and that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. However, there are probably exceptions to that, like in this situation or in Augustus's situation. Uh, when the country has had a very turbulent history and when there are large external powers, rich countries that are trying to manipulate the uh, political and economic uh, structure of your country using their untold wealth. Uh, right.
0: uh, that we got from your country in the first place. <laughs>
1: to destabilize the country, <laughs> yeah. Um you know, you, sometimes you need a strong hand on the till. It's justified, right. I think, to have a strong hand on the wheel who can maintain stability either through a combination of his his, his force of personality, his contacts, right. the respect that he has from the, the people and the elite, you know, a range of different things. So anyway, that's what Paz did in 1964, Uh, and this time he chose as his running mate the commander of the Bolivian Air Force, General Rene Barrientos.
0: Mm -hmm. And as the vice president, he's going to be in charge of the military? Sure, that sounds sounds reasonable to me, right?
1: (laughs) Um, But... Uh, okay. The country the, the country at this time was under major pressure from the United States to reconstitute the army outside of the MNR. They thought it was looking too much like Cuba, where the right. uh, communist government had control of the military. Now, why would that be an issue for America, Ray? I, yeah,
0: because I was about to ask you, what the fuck... Does it matter what Bolivia does with their military? One, they'll never be a threat to America. What the fuck does America care? But you just answered the question for me. If the army is under the control directly incorporated into a leftist government, does that mean that the communists are there and they have all the military on their side and they can cause trouble? Is there going to be a domino effect? I mean, I guess the Americans just didn't want a leftist government controlling the military. They wanted it outside of the government. They wanted it a little bit more independent.
1: Well, I think the, the big problem for America is it's a lot harder to bribe generals to overthrow <laughs>
0: Fucking communists, a government right?
1: when uh, the military is controlled by sort of the political party that
0: you want it to overthrow. A lot harder to are you, bribe them. Are you trying to say that right-leaning governments and or militaries are... Easier to bribe?
1: Yes, uh, by (laughs) right-wing governments, other right-wing governments, yes. (laughs) Just checking. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. Bribery, psychopaths are everywhere. My basic premise of my book is psychopaths are on the right, psychopaths are on the left, psychopaths are in the centre. Anywhere where there's an opportunity for wealth and power, you will find psychopaths, and psychopaths will screw anyone over uh regardless because they have no ideology really psychopaths. Psychopaths go where the they're like pedophiles in the Catholic Church. they'll go anywhere they don't believe just,
0: if, the, if I can just point the way
1: you know if you'll yeah. if you'll help me touch up little boys and uh, protect me if I get caught good I'll believe whatever you I'll believe whatever you yeah. tell me to believe. Psychopaths right. the only ideology psychopaths tend to have is it's not my country right or wrong it's me right or wrong. Uh, and right. they'll they'll go anywhere. They don't really believe in anything other than their own wealth and power, typically. So you get them mm. on both sides. But yes, like but America is is on the is a right wing country, um, mm. and so it's going to align itself more naturally with people on the right wing uh, in the military right. and governments in foreign nations. A lot harder for it to have good relationships with left-wing uh, military and governments. So get your bingo cards ready, folks. So uh, <laughs> on the 4th of November 1964, the MNR government was overthrown in a military group led by the vice president of the government, <laughs> Bolivian Air Force General René Barrientos, and a guy called oh. Alfredo Ovando, who was the commander of the army... With the aid of the CIA,
0: Mm, that doesn't sound.
1: Paz grabbed his uh, travel bag, (laughs) travel bag, (laughs) and went back into exile. Here's a bit from Tim Weiner's book on the CIA. Tim Weiner, just to remind Mm. you, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist from the New York Times, a notably lefty media company. I'm kidding. They're the right, uh, his book on the CIA, which is a, a masterpiece, Legacy of Ashes, read it if you haven't, uh, right. he writes this. A right-wing general, Rene Barrientos, had seized power in that desperately poor nation, backed by more than $1 million from the CIA. Ooh. The money served to encourage, in the agency's words, a stable government favourably inclined towards the United States and in support of the ruling Junta's plans to pacify the country. The general crushed his opponents with increasing force. Bill Broey, chief of the Latin American Division of the Clandestine Service, wrote to Helms, this is Richard Helms, the head of the CIA at the time, with satisfaction. With the election of <laughs> Rene Barrientos as president of Bolivia on July 3rd, 1966, This action was brought to a successful completion. The CIA Mm. sent its Barrientos file to the White House. National Security Advisor Walt Rostow handed it to the President, would have been LBJ at the time, and said, this is to explain why General Barrientos may say thank you when you have lunch with him next Wednesday (laughs) the 20th.
0: Oh, my God. Just blatant power grabbing, manipulation.
1: Uh, this is all on the record stuff, uh, obviously. He's actually quoting this memo from Bill Browie to Richard Helms and the CIA's file. So, again, it's not a conspiracy Brody. theory the CIA, over, you know, uh, uh, giving money to generals to overthrow South American governments uh, in order to secure U.S. interests. This is fact. It's on the record. I know it probably doesn't get talked a lot about in the United States because people are a little bit embarrassed about this. It's very hard to present your country as the moral police cop of the world when behind the scenes you were overthrowing governments left, right, and center and installing brutal dictatorships in their place. Uh, right. As you know, my recent guest, uh, Dove Levin, pointed out, uh, this America is the number one country in terms of influencing elections as they influenced this one. First it was a coup, then it was a coup in 64, and then an election in 66.
0: Um, and if you're keeping score, I think this is military coup number 17, uh, in 1964, and it's not going to stop anytime soon.
1: Is that a real number, or did you make that up?
0: No, I'm making that, up, but All I feel right. pretty good about that. Yeah,
1: it's something like that. And that's in yeah. that's in less than 50 years. Right. Then in 1967, yeah. a year after the CIA threw the election for René Barrientos and a couple of years after they funded his overthrow of the government, Che Guevara took it upon himself to go to Bolivia to try and overthrow the Berrientos dictatorship.
0: Oh, okay. How did that go? Well, before
1: that, I want to point out that Fidel Castro tried to talk him out of it. Okay. Fidel's, I can see that. Fidel's view was that Bolivia wasn't ready for a full revolution. They needed to do more preparatory work first. Um, mm-hmm. Che had recently spent a few years in the Congo trying to uh, help their revolution. It had gone horribly because, right. the in, in, in the view of uh, Fidel Anche, the Congo, 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 Congol- Congolese, Congo, Congolarians, uh, Congolanians yeah. weren't ready uh, for it. Right. In order to have a successful revolution, there's a lot of preparatory work. That needs to be done. It took Fidel in his own country uh, years and years and years before he was able to overthrow the Batista dictatorship.
0: Right. So you
1: don't just rock up and you know have a revolution. Hey, I'm here. Yeah, you, you, there's right. a lot of preparatory work that you need to do to get the the people on board, train them, discipline them you know, educate them. A lot of them are illiterate. You know, they need to understand what's going on, et cetera, et cetera. But Che went anyway. Uh, Now, his goal apparently was to make a Vietnam in South America. He wanted to get the U.S. involved and bog them down in an expensive war that would create more political dissent for them at home. And Che basically saw himself as the new Simon Bolivar, he wanted to liberate South America, his people, from the new imperialists, like Simon Bolivar, 150 years earlier, had liberated mm. them from the Spanish. He wanted to liberate them from the
0: Americans. I mean, what do you think of that plan, to, to somehow trick or manipulate the Americans to come down and fight in Bolivia? Doesn't sound like the smartest plan to me, just because it's all going to be laid waste, but... Um, there's there's probably, obviously, more to it than that.
1: Well, I mean, yes, the same is true in Vietnam, obviously, and as we've explored in yeah. depth on our Cold War show. It, you know, from the view of Ho Chi Minh and the other revolutionary leadership, yeah, look, the price mm-hmm. is going to be high. It's like the price of turkey, Ray. Um, <laughs> it's high, but... <laughs> you do what you gotta do you know you right. you don't want to go and spend the day with your in-laws <laughs> but you want the turkey more than that for I do for I the do. people of uh, Vietnam right in, independence for the turkey political right. independence was their turkey um, right and Pay the price you know a uh, 20-year war with France and the United States was the price of... there was, was the day with the in-laws for them. Right. Um, right. Fidel uh, and Jay <laughs> saw the same thing for the Americas. But anyway, it, in his autobiography, My Life, which was actually, uh, if you've never read it, um, it's sort of a, a, lot, a very big book, but it was a series of interviews done over about five years between the editor-in-chief of Le Monde magazine, Inacio Ramanet. And mm-hmm. Fidel, where Ramanet basically interviews him and, and writes the interview into the book. Basically, it's Fidel's autobiography, but it's it's you know written in a, as an interview. In that book, Fidel says, and it's worth a read. Look, if you're listening to this, and you know little, or you think you know a lot about Fidel Castro and the Cuban Revolution, Che Guevara, if you if you want to get a background on it. Uh, I Mm -hmm. highly recommend that as a starting point. It's a fabulous read, fascinating, stunning. Fidel was a fucking character. I mean, whatever you think of him, good, bad, or indifferent, he was brilliant, like intellectually brilliant, and one of the most successful political leaders in history. Like he was in power for 70, 80, 90, 2000 to... Better part of 50 years. Um, mm-hmm. Saw a Ameri- million American presidents come and go, uh, et etc. et cetera. Um, Read it and then, you know, just you know, even, if you, even if you don't like the guy, read it and get a perspective on him and see what you think at the end of it. Um, anyway, in that book, here's what he says about Che going to Bolivia. When Che got impatient and wanted to leave, I said to him, the conditions aren't ready. I didn't want him to go to Bolivia to organize a tiny group. I wanted him to wait until a larger force had been organized. When We'd been through almost the entire odyssey of the initial stages of our struggle, so we knew what lay in store for him. My thought was, Che is a strategic leader. He should go to Bolivia when a sufficiently solid, proven force is ready. But he was impatient. The minimum essential conditions were not yet in place. I tried to convince him the conditions aren't ripe yet. Because he was a strategist with a great deal of experience and the qualities of a statesman, he shouldn't put himself at risk in those first stages. He knew what life as a gorilla was like. He knew you needed tremendous physical stamina, physical strength. You needed to be of a certain age. And although he overcame all his own shortcomings and had a will of iron... He knew that if he waited much longer, he wouldn't be in the best physical condition. Mm. Now, uh, as I've mentioned before on some of our shows, Shay had very, very bad asthma. He was a doctor but had very bad asthma. And one of the things about being a revolutionary in the early stages, hiding out in the jungles from a large military that's looking for you, is your access to asthma medication. It limited is quite often limited, let alone you know, <laughs> food and water and uh, you know, normal painkillers and you know, those right. sorts of things. Yeah, and so quite often during the early years of the Cuban Revolution, he would be without asthma medication for weeks at a time and mm. basically would be laid up in bed, struggling. Not able to keep up with the rest of the force. They had to leave behind one or two guys to help carry Che or, or you know, put their arm under him or whatever to help him get from point right. A to point B. Got himself in a lot of trouble because he was always slow and the military were coming on the heels of Fidel's forces and that kind of stuff. But he, you know, he managed to pull through. But now he's going into Bolivia with a small force. Again, he's going to find himself in a situation where he can't get access to his uh, asthma medication, which is, in fact, what happened. Um, There were a whole number of reasons for what happened next, but that was one of them. He went, I think, like months without asthma medication, so he was very, very ill. Now, Fidel also says that he invited Lechin, Juan Lechin, the Marxist uh, former military leader, former vice president, to Cuba, where they met for Mm -hmm. three days. He convinced him to help Shay. But it was right. it was too late. The CIA heard rumours he was there, uh, didn't believe it at first, but yes. ended up sending two agents down to assist the Bolivian military to look for him. And eventually Che was captured in 1967 and murdered by the Bolivian army under the guidance of the CIA. Mm-hmm. The guy who... Was uh, sort of the pointy end of the CIA's operation here was a guy called mm-hmm. Felix Rodriguez. Right. Do you know much about Felix
0: Rodriguez, Ray? Was he the one that actually pulled the trigger or no. was it the Bol- Bolivian soldier? Okay. No, I yeah. don't. Go ahead.
1: Well, Felix Rodriguez, still around, still uh, living in Miami. Uh, wow. He was a Cuban exile. I think he was a young child uh, from a, you know, a right-leaning family. His uncle was the Minister of Public Works under the Batista dictatorship. So uh, obviously after what's... the revolution, uh, his whole family got the hell out of Cuba and he ended mm-hmm. up as one of the Cuban exiles. Um, Now, he was involved in the CIA's and and mafia's Bay of Pigs, attempted invasion of Cuba, Mm -hmm. which didn't go too well. And he was then employed later on by the CIA to be with the Bolivian army to hunt down Che Guevara. Now, he said that after they caught Guevara and... He got an execution order from the Bolivian president that, and this is the quote, he told the soldier who pulled the trigger to aim carefully to remain consistent with the Bolivian government's story that Shea had been killed in action during a clash with the Bolivian army. It's all staged. Yeah. They didn't want the story to get out that he had been just executed. In cold right. blood, a as a prisoner, yeah. they, uh, they wanted to make out that he'd been killed in fighting. Now, apparently yeah. the soldier who was given the job of shooting Che was uh, a little bit nervous about doing that, because Che Guevara was obviously oh very famous at the time. According yes. to Rodriguez, Guevara's last words were, Tell my wife to remarry and tell Fidel Castro that the revolution will rise again in the Americas. To his executioner, he said, remember, you are killing a man.
0: See, I would be whimpering and and looking at the ever-increasing puddle by my foot. So, damn. Yeah. Damn.
1: Uh, and, uh, Fidel, in his book, said that he's pretty sure that if Che could have, he would have committed suicide, but he didn't have a weapon. Uh, he'd right. lost his weapon. They'd, they'd they'd been routed, surprised. He'd been injured in a shootout. He had bad asthma. Lost his weapon when they were routed, so he got captured. He couldn't kill himself. Fidel said that he's sure Che would have committed suicide rather than get captured. As Fidel said, he... Also, would have if he'd been in that situation. He also said that knowing Che, he wouldn't have, you know, feared death. One iota, he um, (sighs) believed that his life was meaningless. What were what? The only thing that mattered was the struggle, and um, would have been worried at all. So yeah, the guy was nervous about killing a legend, a hero. Che said, "I'm only a man. Shoot you, coward." Rodriguez said that the U.S. government had wanted Che taken to Panama. I think that so they could uh, maybe uh, interrogate him, torture him, who knows what? Uh, maybe use him as uh, um, leverage. Yeah, some sort of leverage. Uh, Rodriguez says I could have tried to falsify the command to the troops and got Che to Panama as the U.S. government said they wanted. But that he had chosen to let history run its course. When when he told the CIA station chief in La Paz that Che had been executed, the guy asked, "Can you send fingerprints?" Rodriguez replied, "Hell, I can send fingers and what? cut off Che Guevara's hands." Cicero, yeah, sent them <laughs> to the CIA, who ended up they ended up getting sent on to Fidel Castro. Oh fuck, come on. His best friend's hands were chopped off and sent to him by the United States, by the CIA. Um, Rodriguez then took Che Guevara's Rolex wristwatch as a souvenir. Now, Rodriguez then went and fought in Vietnam for the US. There is extensive documentation also on Rodriguez's Mm -hmm. ties to George H.W. Bush when he was vice president during the Iran-Contra affair in the 80s, which uh, Rodriguez was heavily involved in. He knew Bush from oh his God. CIA days. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he's still alive, living in Miami. Uh, Jeez. Now, after Che was executed, it caused a major spin-off scandal in Bolivia that surfaced in 1968. Oh. In that year, Barrientos, the dictator, his trusted friend and the Minister of the Interior, Antonio Aguedas, disappeared sure? with the Ooh. diary of Che Guevara, which they had captured, and he and the diary soon turned up in Havana. Turns out that Aguedas, the Minister of the Interior, had been a clandestine Marxist supporter all along. Oh, deep uh, on with it. Yeah. yeah, and he denounced Barrientos and a lot of his aides and accused him of being on the CIA's payroll, which he was. We now know. Right. Uh, right. So this this highly embarrassed Barrientos prompted his vice president or Vando to distance himself uh, because the 1970 elections were coming up. Then Rene Barrientos uh, conveniently died. In 1969, in a helicopter crash, and Ovando, his vice president, was sworn in. The former head of the Air Force died in a helicopter crash, and the former head of the (laughs) Army was sworn in.
0: So, who who was the guy that you just said Uh, took over? Ovando. Does he last long? Because I have a different name. In 1969, you, so maybe I wrote something wrong. But do you know how long he's he's in power, uh, your, yeah, your gentleman?
1: Yeah, uh, a, a year. Okay. Hmm. So Evando becomes uh, president when Balientos dies, convening in a helicopter crash, right? <laughs> right. Now Evando uh, decided that it was sort of a, a um, good idea to position himself as a lefty in this period. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of waiting for a new election, he staged another coup d'etat in '69. Yeah, number uh-huh. number 18. And, but this was a, a leftist one, not like the last one the Barrientos did was supported by the CIA. This is a leftist one, and he right. nationalized the Bolivian operations of Gulf Oil Corporation. Oh, shit. I think another uh, old Rockefeller breakaway. Did they come out of Standard Oil? I get my oil companies mixed up. Yeah. I can't remember
0: the full list of
1: which came out of which. Yeah, they came out of uh, Standard Oil too, I think. Standard Oil of California. Um, Yeah. Anywho, so, took it. so yes, so uh, he nationalised the US oil operations again. So, of course, America, in late 60s, more than... Fuck, we spent all this money to put in a right-wing dictatorship. <laughs> then we had Che Guevara killed. We've still got leftists right. there. Ah, but fucking leftists. this move to the left by Ovando surprised many of his military colleagues who thought he was on the right, and the military split into two factions, one on the left and one on the right. Oh, my God. Now, this led to another coup uh, led by right-wing military commanders on October 7th, 1970. I think of this as the Riley coup <laughs> because I was born three days later on October 10th, 1970. So... um Right. Okay. Read read into that what you will. 3 days before the coup. 3 days after the coup. I rose. Right. I rose right. 3 <laughs> From days the later. Coup. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um but that that coup uh, was actually defeated a lot of bloodshed the coup was defeated. Ovando resigned though and handed power over to the new commander in chief of the military General Juan Jose Torres. Ah. So he becomes president. So he becomes president, Torres. He's one of the more left-leaning officers in the Bolivian military, former Labor minister, known as a man of the people. You don't get many South American generals who are known as a man of the people. So uh, he was pretty popular. He promised to protect the workers and the country's natural resources from foreign powers. And, of course, this upset the U.S., as you can expect. Here's something from a book called Kissinger's Shadow by Greg Grandin. Okay. In 1969, when Kissinger first took office, only Paraguay and Brazil and South America were ruled by right-wing dictatorships. Nearly every other country was experiencing a revolutionary upheaval, inspired to some degree by Cuba. That would soon change. Bolivia was the l- first Latin American democracy to fall to a military coup on Kissinger's watch. Mm. We are having. Oh, i got to do my coup. We are. <clears throat> we are having. <laughs> Kissinger. Basically, he sounds like a. Is he German? Well, yeah, kind of. He, he was uh, a Jew, wasn't he? Somewhere over there. He's like mm-hmm. a. Polish, uh, oh. Ger- Polish, German, Jew, something. He's still around. He's still around. Wow,
0: we should get him on the show.
1: Yeah, now German, German Just, Jew. He was not Polish, German, German Jew. Jew, born in Bavaria, okay. German Jew. Ah, oh. ninety-six years old. Kissinger is Jesus Christ. Uh,
0: takes care of his own. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. We are having a major problem in Bolivia, said Kissinger. On June 11th, 1971, telling the CIA to crank up an operation Uh, post-haste. On August 21st, a military coup installed a right-wing dictator promptly recognised by Washington. According to the State Department, the CIA moved in response to a White House request for a political action program to arrest the leftward
0: trend of the Bolivian government. Is there is there just a form on the president's desk? Uh, let's see, I need a coup. The lefties are getting out of hand. Which country? Just check the box. Bolivia, and hand it over to someone? I mean, what the fuck is... Go- this is like, it's it's almost like... Uh, it's either assembly line or roll of toilet paper. They just have these things ready to just go. And it's going to get worse, and it's going to get even more organized. So this is the second CIA-slash-White
1: House-led uh, coup installing a Jeez. right-wing military dictatorship in Bolivia in the 60s, well, 60s early 70s, this happened, <clears throat> 71.
0: Right. Um,
1: and so, you know, to put this in perspective with, with modern events, when people like Ebo Morales says, the US is involved in overthrowing my government... And people in the US, the media, the government, to you know, go, yeah, ah, conspiracy yeah. theories, bullshit. You Leave have to one realize, time. Yeah. You yeah. have to realize <laughs> that the Bolivian people have lived through this before. This isn't new. They've lived through this. They understand how it works, where Americans tend to be, you know, happily ignorant about the history of this part of the world Lustfully. and America's involvement in it. So the yeah. Taurus government gets overthrown in 1971 by Colonel Hugo Banzer. Now, <coughs> say what you want about Colonel Hugo Banzer, Ray. Right? That's a great Ray. fucking name. I, <laughs> I would be overthrowing governments if my name was Colonel Hugo Banzer. You almost have to overthrow governments if that's Ooh, your name.
0: I'm Hugo Banzer. Yeah. yeah, just a tough, just a cool name. Colonel Hugo yeah. Banzer. Like it is. It's just About a fucking, to be fucking cool name. President. Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. Here, here's the thing you you were stressing earlier. You know, so President Juan Jose Torres was becoming more pop- popular. He was trying to, you know, right some wrongs. I think he was also to some degree trying to share power or work better with a popular, popular assembly because they're trying to um, – to improve their image, try to be more representative and responsive to the people. Obviously we can't have that. Colonel Hugo Banzer Banzer comes in. He has the help of certain aspects of the Bolivian military, but also like you just said, uh, the CIA or whatever American assets he's going to need. But here's where it gets more complicated. So, President Torres doesn't just step down. He actually has to flee because they're, they're out to get him. So this is where the United States comes in proper. Now, the Americans had already set up so called, something called Operation Condor. And in theory, initially, Operation Condor was to try to stop or stymie communist or Soviet influence coming from Latin, uh, coming into uh, Latin America from Europe. But... Considering the the, the sign of the times, not only do they work on trying to stop communists, but they also try to make sure that there are right-wing governments in Latin America, because like you said, if you're a right-wing government, you don't want left-wing governments nearby you, and so the... Latin American countries have always been America's backyard. We have made it clear to the um, Europeans and everyone else that you don't you don't go in there. This is our this is our territory. So Operation Condor is set up. They're able to um, devote impressive amounts of resource, manpower to this. They're able to get Torres chased out. They put Banzer into the office, and Torres, as far as I remember, he's going to be fleeing for quite some time. It's going to be years, but eventually they're going to catch up to him, and you got to get rid of him. But if I remember correctly from what I read, Operation Condor made at least 60,000 people disappear in Latin America over a number of years. There was killings, there was tortures, there's kidnaps, uh, that kind of stuff. And so now the CIA is more organized, more more um, structured when it comes to getting rid of a left-leaning leader, putting a right leader in. They're getting it down to a science now. They're getting very good at it. And they're going to keep coming back in, uh, to Latin America time and again until they get the government they want in place. Mm. I think I think Torres is killed in seventy six.
1: Yeah, kidnapped and killed. Yeah, kidnapped, shot uh, in nineteen seventy six as part of Operation Condor. Condor ran during right. the Johnson, Nixon, Ford, Carter, and Reagan administrations. <laughs> Fuck. Um, that alone, that alone,
0: just tells you what America has been doing in Latin America.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would argue that it's still running. In a way today it's just that yeah. changed the brand, changed the name, yeah. Yes. Um exactly. yeah, like the number of deaths and disappearances attributed to it is hard to know because obviously sure. due to the, the secretive nature of it and the regimes that were running it, it's highly disputed. But some of the estimates say that sixty thousand deaths attributed to Condor and four hundred thousand people imprisoned, thirty thousand oh. disappeared. In 1992, there was something called the Archives of Terror discovered. I mean... Name of my album. Well, General yeah. Hugo, Colonel Hugo Banzer in the Archives of Terror is uh, going to be the name of my next movie. Because uh, fuck me, doesn't that sound like something you would watch? <laughs> it does. <laughs>
0: I would pay, pay top dollar to see that.
1: Um, starring... <laughs> starring me as Colonel Hugo Banzer <laughs> and you as my trusty sidekick. Uh, you- Poncho. <laughs> you drive in the sidecar. I've got like a, you know, Korean War era motorbike and you're in the little sidecar right. we're driving around.
0: <laughs> With goggles and a helmet and, you know.
1: These, these, in ninety two these files were found in a police station in Paraguay documenting the fate of thousands of Latin American dissidents uh, known as the Archives of Terror. They they had documented assassinations, kidnappings, torture, secret imprisonment, surveillance programs, listed more than 50,000 deaths and 400,000 political prisoners throughout Argentina, Bolivia, Brazil, Chile, Paraguay, Uruguay, Colombia, Peru and Venezuela... Um, all funded and supported directly and indirectly by the United
0: States. Now, I don't want to show off because it's bragging if you do, but when and if I ever run a massive killing, kidnapping, torturing center, and I, you know, I'm still building up for it, you don't keep notes. Or if you keep notes, you make sure the notes don't survive once you're done. I mean... The idea that all this stuff is written down is just insane to me. But I guess when you do something, even killing and torture on a massive scale, you have to be organized in your approach. Yeah. I guess. Well, particularly when you're
1: paying people per head.
0: Oh, right. You need receipts and accounting. and Mm. uh, Yeah, I I got you. Mm. I got you.
1: Now, during the Reagan years, of course, one of the key players in operation, Condor was Elliot Abrams, the man right that Donald Trump recently put in charge of overthrowing the <laughs> government of Venezuela Not
0: hasn't quite done it yet
1: Fuck, him so. and him and Felix Rodriguez must have some stories to tell <laughs> country remember the time we have yeah. overthrown yeah. <laughs> Colonel, together. Colonel Hugo Banzer Part 2. <laughs> the price of Turkey. Uh, uh, yeah, Elliot Abrahams, along with Felix Rodriguez, heavily involved in the Iran Contra scandal, no surprise. Anyway, and George H.W. Bush, but back to Bolivia. So yeah, yeah. when Paz uh and the MNR aligned themselves with Colonel Hugo Banzer in this 1971 CIA-led coup. Right. They apparently, he apparently thought Paz. This is that Banza would hold new elections and Paz would be the new oh. president again. Instead, well, thanks. Banza oh. split with the MNR in 1974 and exiled Paz again. <laughs> Jesus. Christ so he came Jesus. back for the coup and then left again. <coughs> that keeping <coughs> that bag handy. Got to <coughs> keep your exile bag just, at your hand. Never let it. <coughs> he out just of your goes to the
0: airport. Just waves, just waves at the, uh, the 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 official. You don't need to check anything. I'm just leaving again. I'll be back. I'll, I'll see you later. Oh my god!
1: So that's uh, I don't know. That's enough. That's where we get up to by the mid '70s. Uh, another yeah. CIA-led coup, uh, brutal military dictatorship running in right. Bolivia. And next week, we will talk about what happens next and we'll get into the story of Ibo Morales. Do a little bit of a bio on Ibo Morales, the man who has recently been the subject of the latest in a long series of coups in
0: Bolivia. I am fucking exhausted. (laughs) Because <laughs> you're that good. Because you're that good. People brag about it. Basically, and I'm sure a lot of listeners know this so they can figure it out really quickly, but it's gotten to the point now where it's just not bullshit. Bull. Bullshit. Bull. bullshit. Bull. bullshit. Bull. 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 My penis.